Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. What time is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you Johnny man? Hello, 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 and welcome to a brand new year of the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hello, Ken. Hello, Alan. How are you? I'm good. Hello, Kieran. Happy New Year to you both. Well, we've already done the Happy New Year's uh, for a New Year's Eve show, man. But welcome back. Well, New Year's Eve. I mean, this is New Year's Day. I mean, it's a whole new... What do you do? I mean, of course you got to wish... Don't you? It's also long past New Year's Day. Somebody's brain needs to reactivate. This this is the issue with the early podcasts in the new year. No, I'm mean, start I'm, I'm thinking about ha- speaking to people rather than just watching movies. I'm merely wishing a happy new year to people who I haven't seen in the new year yet. What if the latter part of 2015 was dominated by Manchester United fans urging their team to attack, attack, attack? 2016, it started with Everton fans appealing to their team for, well, no, one of their footballers in particular to, for a return to more traditional English football to values. Get rid. <laughs> you know, get rid. Rosehead, Stonesy, Rosehead. So, okay, the dying minutes of yesterday's home game against Spurs. It's one all. A ball has floated over the Everton defence for Tottenham's Sun Hyung Min to run on to. But John Stones, the best young centre half in the world. Again, in the world, maybe, <laughs> has it well covered. He's in position at that stage to just roll it back to his goalkeeper to hoof it away. Instead, decides the riskier play of taking it back outside the attacker and towards his own right touchline. Fair enough. Yeah, he is at least moving the ball away from the goal at this point. Yeah. Uh, thereby not breaking the when the cardinal rules of defending by knocking it back across your own goal. He decides though this is a bit boring. So he Cruyff turns his way back in the direction of the goal, chased hard by Son, who at this stage is really closing in here. Yeah. And he's he's so close to the goal that if he dispossesses Stones, he's gonna score. Uh so you know, Stones is digging a hole for himself. The only way out of it looks to be smacking the ball with his left foot into Rose Ed. It's always Rose Ed. Even Row Orr, you know, he yeah. could have smacked the Row Orr at that stage. Instead, yeah. that's what makes him the best young defender in the world. His refu- <laughs> he's he's uh, he's aiming the the long clearances just at Row Orr. Instead, he goes for another drag back and swivels back out towards the wing again, only to be fouled by the Spurs player, thereby winning a free kick and relieving the pressure. His reward for this display of Franz Beckenbauer style football as to be barracked mercilessly by his own yeah. outraged supporters. <laughs> yeah, he wants to know what he thinks he's doing. What he thinks he's doing with I, that ball. I liked his reaction to that. He just gestured them to relax. Yeah. Have this under control. It's clear that his teammate Mohamed Besic clearly notices what's happening because he comes over and cups Stones' head yeah. as though to say, Well Are you done. All right? Are you all right? Well done. Don't mind these clowns. Right, yeah. You're doing it the right way. And as Stones turns back to face the play, he's caught on camera muttering something to himself. Yeah. Uh, I think F me, it might have been the. <laughs> Pearls before swine was the, the gist of what John Stones was driving at there. It's interesting, though, because this is a young player doing exactly what he's good at, exactly what the manager wants, exactly what English football fans often say they want to see. Yeah, yeah. Teams getting it down, passing it, more technical footballers. But when the heat is on, they um, really just, just want Just not to, there on. You know, just not there. <laughs> Lump it up, yeah. Anywhere, you know, in the first two-thirds of the pitch. Yeah. You don't want to be playing football in, in that sort of an area. You know, play all the football you like in the final third. Mm-hmm. But, you know... Back there, anywhere within seventy-five yards of your own goal, on you don't want you don't want to be see, see your centre halves at that crack. Well, I, it was, I, even Glenn Hoddle was saying, uh, "Was it the Liverpool West Ham game?" Glenn Hoddle, obviously uh, a man um, grievously underappreciated by the brutish English football culture of his time. 
uh, some people would say. Others would say he simply wasn't that good. Uh, but he uh, said at, at some point, I can't remember who, which player it was, but I'm pretty sure it was during the Liverpool West Ham game. You know, you don't, it's just not in that sort of, just not in that area. You know, there's, there's nothing to be gained from playing football in that area. You know, you're not going to open the game up with a nice little pass. You know, it's uh, so essentially uh, criticizing someone again for not launching it <laughs> when when under a little bit of pressure. Because once you're close to your goal, but you know, I think, I think that's I think that's fair enough. Well, you are going to keep possession, though. That's the idea behind playing the way he does at centre half. Yeah. Albeit, if you do lose possession, it's fairly. It's 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 seventy five percent likely. It's basically like give, like conceding a penalty <laughs> yeah. if you lose possession. Um, so that you know that's uh, that's something that you have to balance up the percentages. As Alan Hansen always used well, to we'll say. We'll talk to Tony Barrett about this a little bit later on. He was at that game. Chat a bit about it. Everton. We'll have Dion on. What are we going to talk about? Oh, West Ham. Yeah, Andy Carroll and uh, his impact against Liverpool. It's time now for Kennedy's Report on Sport. Well, um, there was an, a lot of amazing goals this weekend. That was the thing that really impressed me. As I was thinking last night, I was thinking, hmm, you know, what, have, there, have, have there been any patterns? Fresh there been new anything angle, I've, Kev. I've seen, and I thought, you know, there, was some, there were a lot of bloody brilliant goals. You know, sometimes you just have to stand back and applaud. Uh, so, first of all, there was the BBC... That is what they're called, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. BBC and, and Cristiano yeah. at Real Madrid uh, scoring this brilliant first goal against Valencia. The type of flowing interchange that everybody has come to expect from Rafael Benitez's teams. Um, you know, they recently win a match 10-2. Here they are uh, unpicking Valencia's defence uh, with, a, with a seamless flowing move between their three star attackers. That's beautiful. What's not to like, Owen? What is not to like about that? Um, Bale also scored a great header in that game. Of course, they didn't quite manage to win because of a spirited performance by Gary Neville's Valencia. Not that he's going to be hanging around long in this game, uh, so enjoy it while he can. We'll get back to Neville, uh, but for the time being, um, the other goals, the Aston Villa's goal against Sunderland by Hill was an amazing goal across from the right. He knocks it in with a, fly, a volley, a kind of a lunging volley back across the goalkeeper. Um, at Goodison Park, uh, Lennon scores a great goal against his former club. Remembers he used to play for them. Doesn't celebrate. Uh, Deli Alley uh, scores a goal, which is doubly delicious for him, Owen, because it comes against his hated, uh, his hated uh, Mersey Blues. Deli Alley, of course, wishes he was playing for Liverpool Football Club. I keep reading, but somehow or other, he he slips through their fingers, and he plays for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club who are looking like uh, the best team in the Premier League at the moment. Could Seamus Coleman have done anything about it? He was a covering defender. I was yeah, kinda, I don't think so. I, I mean, He I, was waiting for the ball to drop, which is what would have happened if Deli Alli wasn't such a really good footballer. Yeah. Uh, he would have been there in plenty of time if the ball had touched the ground and Deli Alli had twatted it with it on the half volley. Yeah. yeah. But well, he took it on the, on the full volley, and as a result, I think... Coleman can't really be blamed for it too I, much. I thought it was just a great finish. You know, it was just a really good run and finish. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Coleman, I don't know. I mean, it's not like Seamus Coleman. Look, Seamus Coleman's a great attacking right back, Owen. Mm-hmm. You know, why are you always pointing to these incidents in his own penalty area? Why are you always pointing the finger of blame? No, I'm just over Can't you just enjoy? Yeah. Can't you just enjoy Coleman for the, for the player that he is? Don't you realise that Everton's games have have included more goals than the games of any other team in the Premier League. Oh, yeah, Seamus Coleman has got a lot to do with that. <laughs> Even a one-all <laughs> draw seemed like a, a higher-scoring game. I came away from that match thinking, that was exciting. Even though there were only two goals. Scored. Oh, it was, it, was, it was brilliantly exciting. But the, the quality didn't stop there, Owen. The great goals didn't stop there. Right. Uh, there was also Williams' goal for a resurgent, a resurgent Chelsea uh, against Crystal Palace, it, just the outside of the f- uh, foot shot of just casual uh, brilliance by William. We know William. William is football. You know the way that certainly this season they used to say this kind of thing about Ronaldo. Ronaldo is football, said Batistuta. You know, as the football world reacted in shock to the news that Ronaldo would be out for the next you know two years with his severed knee. Ronaldo is football. Well, I feel that we should be saying that about William now. William is football. He's done so much this <laughs> season. Um, uh, then uh, at Old Trafford, Wayne Rooney, Wayne Rooney scored a 
I'm back heel. Is it really that difficult, that girl? I would say with the left foot, it probably is. Yeah, it's wrong foot, right? Yeah, it's wrong foot. I would say that takes quite a lot of coordination. I don't know how difficult that is to execute for if Wayne Rooney had been a left-footed player. The goal that is still known as the Lee Sharp. Oh, mm. yeah. Because... I, I was wondering if it, it was, was like just no one me. had seen it before. <laughs> yeah. What did he, what did he just do? Oh, you see a goal like that every couple of weeks now, you know. I, but, <laughs> but it's but, uh, like he, he Lee Sharp could have scored the goal with his neck. You know, like that's how outrageous it was. The fact that I've <laughs> seen know, that goal, you don't score. You the fact that I've seen that goal like fairly often in five aside. I'm yeah. not saying yeah. I've seen every yeah. five second, but I have seen yeah. that. Yeah. executed yeah. by quite a few players who I wouldn't deem world class. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say it's not a, not an impossible technique. But at the time, it was just Lee Sharp has just rearranged the universe. It's like a Copernican uh, inversion of everything we thought was possible. He's played the ball backwards between <laughs> his own legs. That is unbelievable. Uh, Ryan Rooney, unbelievable. But also, Gilfie Sigurdsson, unbelievable. Uh, a shot. Uh, I've totally forgotten Sigurdsson's goal. A looping header on. I'm not sure how precisely the arc was judged by Gilfie Sigurdsson. Sometimes the ball comes off your head at the right angle. I think this was one of those times. Mm-hmm. Uh, defeated David De Gea. Uh, but it wasn't even the best header of the weekend, Owen. I, I can't make up my mind whether that went to little Sergio Aguero. Oh, yeah. Oh. Well, that's it. I don't know what your second contender is going to be. Oh, but. Well. Or big Andy Carroll. Little Sergio or Big Andy. Both of them. More than one way to skin a cat, isn't there, Ked? There is. I think Aguero's maybe just in terms of timing. Aguero somehow managed to leap from a great distance off as the ball was still, you know, sort of just coming into the box and perfectly intersects, you know, his patch is perfectly intersected with the ball so he can nail it into the corner as as he was coming down from the jump. It was an amazing piece of timing. Uh, Carroll's was a bit more of a, you know, this is how hard it's possible to head a ball. You, you know, some of you watching will will be thinking to yourselves, I'm not sure I could have kicked the ball that hard. I was going to say, do you reckon if you kicked the ball as hard as you could, it would be, it would go faster through the air for the first five yards than an Andy Carroll header? Depends which Andy Carroll header. That particular one. Um, I think, I think, yeah, probably. Just I think ultimately, bit. yeah. I think ultimately I've got, you know, I'm six foot three. My foot's got to be able to f- travel faster through the air. I mean, am I hitting the ball? Am I catching the ball on the volley here? No, it's just it's a, a stationary piece. ball. Yeah. See, he's able to use the pace of the ball. You know? <laughs> I don't know. I would hope that I would be able to exceed his shot power. Pace of cross plus concrete <laughs> forehead. Yeah, there's a scientific equation we need to work out there. But there was Andy Carroll wheeling away in celebration. He didn't do the Aaron Lennon on it. It was a goal that meant a lot for him. Yeah. He wanted to stay at Liverpool, Liverpool and they kept rejecting him. He enjoyed the goal. They uh, they rejected him. He wanted to stay. Brendan Rodgers kept saying, I'd have to be a nutcase to let Andy Carroll go. Unless, of course, there were other solutions. Sam Allardyce, listening to the radio down in London, thought to himself, to me, it sounds as though Brendan Rodgers doesn't really want to keep Andy Carroll. I wonder, could we do a little deal for him? And so uh, he managed to pull that off, get Andy Carroll in on, on loon uh, for the for the season. Andy Carroll does very well for West Ham. And then uh, Big Sam wants to buy Andy Carroll, but Andy Carroll doesn't want to join West Ham. He's moping around. He just wants to go back to Liverpool and, and become a, an Anfield strike legend. Like Del, like Della Alley. There are all these men, all these young men moping around uh, Britain, uh, dreaming of playing for Liverpool, who, and Liverpool just aren't interested. They send him packing back to West Ham. Sorry, Andy. But your uh, style just doesn't fit in with our style. You're a big, lumbering centre-forward that doesn't move around a great deal. uh, And we don't really play in a way that suits you. Therefore, go back to West Ham. And maybe it worked out well for them in the sense that uh, big Andy Carroll. Of course, the defining feature of his game is that he's big. But of course, one of the important things to remember about life on planet Earth is that uh, gravity on Earth is quite strong. If the Premier League was taking place on, for instance, Mars, where the gravity is only 38% that of the gravity on planet Earth, then... Game, game 39. Game 39. Well, Could, perhaps. If it was taking place on Mars, then Andy Carroll, big Andy Carroll, would be striking the ground with only a small fraction of the force uh, that goes through his, his body, his muscles, his tendons, yeah. when he lands after one of his majestic stag-like leaps. And the wear and tear 
on Andy Carroll's body would be a little less. You see? I see. Yeah, I see you're, what you're talking. But unfortunately, about as we have to, as we still we're playing the Premier League here on planet Earth, he is subject to the standard Earthling nine point eight meters squared per second of meters per second squared. <laughs> we don't know. I'm, I'm honored that you would look in my direction for a confirmation <laughs> of that fact, again, but uh, you're cracking uh, up the wrong tree there, I'm afraid. Uh, meters per second squared, we'll go with. Um, this is something Sam Allardyce talked about in his autobiography. Uh, that was just the big. The problem with Big Andy was that he was so big, uh, he would jump so high. He's got such a magnificent spring, but of course, when he lands, that's when the problems start. You know, you can uh, you can survive the fall, Owen. It's the landing that's always the problem. So, what if he bends his knees? Well, I you, suppose. You ever see a parachute uh, ist? Parachutist. Yeah. Landing, you know, they always sort of just bend those knees a little bit, and they always—I'm always amazed they come down so fast, but they never seem to break their legs upon impact. Yeah, well, sometimes they do. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> they—they suffer they terrible to, injuries. They took their legs whether up the parachute their... opens or not. Yeah, uh, that would true. be the key part of landing safely when you've got a parachute in your back. I'd say more so than the it's, knee bending. It's rare to land safely once that parachute doesn't actually work. All right. Um, I thought this was this was interesting because I was reading I was reading Big Sam's autobiography. Hold on, have we saying, moved away? I was enjoying the run through all the goals in the weekend. Oh, the goals! So are we finished? Are we finished? I, I, I could have gladly gone through every single really goal. The lightning seeds behind the first five minutes. <laughs> Maybe next Monday will we just talk through every single goal in the Premier League weekend? I don't know if that wouldn't if that would um, even the scrappy ones. I mean, people have seen the goals. That's my assumption. People, a lot of people will have seen the goals. I tell you what, we'll reconvene next Sunday evening. I'll drop you a text and see if you want to. Super Next Monday, go through. go through every single goal. If not, we'll forget this conversation never happened. But it was a bit like, um, remember Ferguson talking about Jordan Henderson? Well, his gait, you know, just as well. I thought his gait was a bit funny. He might have, might have a few injuries. Uh, and it was like, why did you put that in? You know, if, you, why, why would you include a sort of, you know, speculation about the future uh, fitness of a, of a player? Well, you know, for no apparent reason, he's not even got anything to do with you. In Big Sam's case with Andy Carroll, maybe there was a little bit of payback here. I'm not sure if Big Sam's, like, why am I calling him Big Sam? Sam Allardyce. Sam Allardyce's um, relationship with Andy Carroll maybe didn't didn't work out that well because he's he's a little bit hostile about him. Considering he was the guy who paid all the money for him, he then is like, well, you know, Big Andy, he's not. Uh, he wouldn't be a student of football. He's not. He basically doesn't watch football. Uh, he has no interest in the history of football. He is not somebody who you would want on your quiz team if you were. Basically, knows nothing about the game. Yeah, was what uh, Sam was saying. And he doesn't. Uh, he he goes a bit easy on himself quite a lot of the time. He's got a lot of interests outside the game, and sometimes it seems like he's more interested in those things than the thing you want him to be interested in. If he's what your, is interest outside the game. Like life, you know. Oh, meeting up with friends and so forth. Meeting up with friends, music, like just experiencing the world, you know, as a fully rounded human being. He's just not a kind of a football. He plays football, sure. He is a professional footballer. But is he going to sit around all day thinking about football, watching football? No. Pff, no. No, that's not his style. Um, so that was, that was uh, you, you, could, you could detect a note of irritation in what Sam says about him. But Bilic, uh, his current manager, this is of, of more relevance um, to Carroll now, uh, talking, about, uh, talking about Carroll after the game, says he looks really good and fit. It's all about him now. Is he going to maintain and progress and look after himself? Or is he going to go the other way? He has history in that. I'm not his dad. I can't demand things from him. But I'm expecting that, to be fair. So, essentially, that uh, Carol's fitness has been a problem for a long time. And sometimes it's because the player gets unlucky. You know, he's, he's too big. Graffiti is too strong. He hits the ground and things strain and tear. Uh, and sometimes it's because the player could work a little bit harder on his, uh, on his recovery and fitness. Um, <clears throat> that seems to be West Ham's view at the moment. Yeah. Whether it'll work out for Andy Carroll, who knows? Oh. Um, More Sam Allardyce? Yeah, uh, Sam Allardyce. I mean, I mentioned Billich there. Billich did an interesting interview in the in the Mail. He did a few did a few kind of interviews, but uh, he was talking about a few things. He was comparing the Premier League to the NBA in terms of the evenness of competition, uh, saying this is great. Uh, 
this is definitely the place to be. Um, he's saying this season is kind of logical. Every club in this league can buy good players. Last season, Chelsea had Diego Costa and Eden Hazard, but Crystal Palace didn't have Johan Kabay. Um, so he's basically saying, you know, he's talking about his own team, saying, I've got a lot of really good players now. I don't look around my team and think, oh no, everyone's terrible. He had an interesting point about uh, why players on other teams always seem to be better than your players. Um, a basketball coach in Croatia asked me why players on other teams always seem better than the ones you have. It's because as a manager, you only see the things that are dangerous to your team. You feel protective. Um, but uh, what was the point about... Oh, God, Billich. Oh, yeah. He, he did mention one thing which came up over the weekend, which is uh, managers always have a chat after games and there isn't much difference, difference in our approach, whatever the nationality. Well, there did seem to be a difference in the approach at Sunderland where Remy Gard uh, found himself being... Um, yeah, he didn't get the... We didn't give a handshake to... No, he refused to shake Sam Allardyce's magnanimous hand. Mm -hmm. Sam is standing there, hand outstretched, the very soul of English sportsmanship, and this peevish little Frenchman <laughs> uh, scuttles away, scuttles away without, without, without reciprocating. You know, so... It says, you know, pictures, says a thousand words, whatever. There's Big Sam, hand out. Of course, Remy Gard explains it afterwards. He says, well, I just thought it was a bit easy for Big Sam. Sam Allardyce or whatever, Allardyce. No, even the other managers do tend to call him Big Sam. They do. Um, at Bolton, of course, Sammy Lee was little Sam. As Sam Allardyce uh, uh, talks about doing, for some Christmas event, recording the video of... Uh, not the video, but recording a version of Is This the Way to Amarillo? <laughs> Which somehow is just not a surprising story in this book at all. But is this the way, is this the way to Amarillo? And little Sammy Lee uh, said, I'm going to have to be Ronnie Corbett, am I? And everyone is sort of saying, yes, um, yes, yes, you, you, you do. But anyway, that's, that's, that's in the past. Yeah, the handshake. Uh, Remy Gard says, he said, look, you know, uh, I thought we were going to meet up before the game. You know, I'd have preferred if he'd said hello to me before the game. It's just a politeness thing. Um, and uh, and Remy Gard didn't speak to the press either because he was standing waiting outside the press room while Sam Allardyce was holding court. And he was standing in the corridor for so long that he got angry and just and, and flounced away. He thought, no, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm literally not putting up with this. And... Um, in Sam Allardyce's book, he actually talks about this. He says, uh, the, uh, well, the, the tradition of having a glass of wine after the game is dying out. Of course, he used to do that with Alex Ferguson. There's a great story in there about the time that he, uh, he offers Ferguson a special bottle of wine. Ferguson opens up the box and he says, you're having a laugh, mate. This isn't a Bordeaux. And produces a bottle of Ribena from the box. And Sam, oh, oh, I'm going to kill whoever put that in there. And... <laughs> Sam goes chasing off after his staff, looking for the scallywag. He's after <laughs> putting the Ribena in instead of the, you know, 55 Margot or whatever. And, uh, uh, and he can't, he, he, you know, he keeps trashing his various staff and accusing them of, and they're all like, oh, it wasn't me, boss. Until they get back and guess who's basically wetting himself with laughter. But Sir Alex Ferguson. Who was it? Only Mike Phelan. He got Mike Phelan to do it. Oh. Mike Phelan. He went in and took took away the nice bottle of wine, put it in a bottle of Ribena. And uh, <laughs> anyway, oh those sorts of traditions are dying out. Why haven't I read this? <laughs> it sounds like it's the best book of the 21st century thus far. Well, I, well, I ask it's Kendall, not fun. I asked him to give me a few notes just before the report on sport, just so I know, you know, roughly topic to topic, mm. what, what kind of things might we be talking about. It's literally just Sam Allardyce, Billich, Big Sam, Remy Gard, more Big Sam stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Someone has been reading Sam Allardyce's book again over Christmas. Oh, Sam, big Sam. Um, likes sitting at home watching The X Factor because he likes watching others achieve their dreams, having lived his own. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, obviously, he hates being regarded as a long ball manager. Well, what, what was the point? Oh, yeah, the point was that he... Uh, Nowadays, you don't do the wine necessarily after the match. You, he was going to say, I, I guess, that you do actually talk beforehand. You meet up before the yeah. game to have a cup of tea because there's no winner at that stage. There's no loser at that stage. Everyone can be nice and friendly. But he says, uh, with a lot of the foreign lads, um, or the, the younger managers, rather, the foreign managers don't like the post-match drink routine. So 
now this is what we tend to do. But the, with the younger managers, they're paranoid about giving anything, any, anything away. So unless you really know the other lad, it was, you know, Husey. Tony Pulis. You know, Brucey, exactly. <laughs> Pulisy. Parrots. Uh, Pulsey is, is, is the correct. Pulsey. Uh, then, then it's just airy-fairy chit-chat. So I, I guess Sam probably looked at this and thought, hmm, Aston Villa, Rennie Gard. Frankly, I'm not sure I'm ever going to be seeing Remy Gard again. <laughs> you know, unless we meet in the championship, I'm not entirely convinced that I'm ever going to manage a team against Remy Gard again. We've already played them earlier in the season. I missed that one. It wasn't, you know, it was Dick Avocat. Do I even really need this? Maybe that was his philosophy. Maybe Sam was looking at it thinking, you know, it, I don't want to make a friend that I won't get to see again. It would be too painful for me at this stage. You know, I would love to make friends with Remy Gard, but but I'd have to almost say goodbye to him. It would be over almost before it began. Mm. I just, I just don't want to get hurt that way. Maybe that's what, or maybe he just thought, I don't need to see this Remy Gard guy. But one way or the other, uh, Remy Gard didn't like it. I mean, Sam, uh, obviously, is someone who thinks a lot about respect and the respect he doesn't feel that he gets enough. Sometimes he ought to think about, you know, how he acts towards people who aren't really of too much importance to him. Obviously, with Sir Alex Ferguson, he's, you know, he's... I, I doubt that Sam Allardyce has ever knowingly disrespected Alex Ferguson. But Remy Gard... I don't know if we seriously need to need to think seriously about Remy Gard, do we? You know, maybe he's not someone... So, I, I, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I get a sense of that. I mean, he, he refers to Ferguson a few times. Ferguson himself loved nothing more than to call each other up and say things like, the game's gone potty. Um, that is a quote. From the book, the game's gone potty. Richard Keyes, remember, said that the game's gone potty, didn't he? To uh, Andy Gray in one of their overheard conversations, or let's say recorded and unexpectedly released yes. conversations. Um, uh, I mushroomed him. That's the Sam Allardyce term for uh, the mushroom. He's got the mushroom squad. The mushroom squad uh, is the players who do your head in. Uh, what you do with them is like mushrooms. You put them away in the dark, you take them out when you need them, and then you stick them right back there in the dark. Again. So basically, players who, who are going to leave the club, who you've decided you want to get rid of, but you can't get rid of yet because like, there's a transfer window or no one will take them, but you don't want them contaminating the rest of the team with their mutinous sentiment, you know. So you mushroom them, put them away. in the, But um, he, he also says, the most burgeoning department in any football club these days is the HR department. In my playing days, we had Taffs, Mix, and Jocks in the team, and that's how they referred to. They certainly didn't take offence. We're even warned to be careful with nicknames in football nowadays in case they're deemed offensive. But if the receiver doesn't take offence, I don't see the problem. In my day, I've played with Gonkhead, Teffelhead, Dopey, Trigger, Plug, Squirt, you name them. Shall I go suing everyone who calls me Big Fat Sam? What was the first one? Gonkhead. <laughs> Do me a favour. I get even angrier away from football when we're told we shouldn't refer to it as Christmas anymore. It should be the festive season. What is this country coming to? <laughs> uh, seriously, that's in there. A, a swift half with uh, <laughs> Sam Allardyce. You know, you, there, there's, there's a certain, I would say, charm to that possibility. I but actually, four or five pints with um, Sam Allardyce would be my version of hell. I uh, think of the stories, though, you know. Yeah, that, that's kind of the swift half. Part. He actually mentions I mean, the, if like eight or nine halves. He he mentions at one point that, that he he sacked Wally Downs. Remember Wally Downs? Oh. Um, the mere mention of his name makes me laugh. Wally Wally Downs, who who was um, who Neil Warnock claimed had had sat there in this in the room with the staff, you know, at one of these post match drinks that are going out of fashion, just wearing a t shirt and nothing else. That shows you the class of the man," <laughs> said Neil Warnock. Um, but Sam, Sam decided to, to get rid of Wally Downs because he was employed as a coach, but he wanted to be the assistant manager. And he wasn't doing any of his coaching duties. And he, and he was just in trying to be the assistant manager. And Sam's like, I don't want you to be the assistant manager. I want you to be the coach. You're not doing it. So, regrettably, Wally, we have to part ways. I, I wish you well finding an assistant, the assistant manager job you so clearly crave. And he got in Teddy Sheringham. Uh, as Wally Downs' replacement, who who then told him, you know the first time I ever met you, Sam? I was a young trainee. I had to bring your boots up to your hotel room. I opened the door, and there you were stood, stark, bollock naked, toweling yourself down while I handed you the boots. <laughs> Sam couldn't remember the incident, but 
uh, it made a big impression on Teddy Sheringham. Yeah. Uh, this was in the same paragraph, the Wally Downs and, and Sam Howard. They just, I thought, wow, there's just so much going on here. Um, but it's not, it's not actually not a bad book. He, there's a chapter which is written by Sam's wife. Uh, where he's talk- she's talking about what it's like being Sam Allardyce's wife. Really? Yeah, and he's a lovely, he's a romantic guy. They've been together since they were like 18 or whatever. Mm. Uh, you know, they're watching TV. She mentions Celine Dion's on. And she says, oh, you know, I like Celine's, uh, I like, I- I'd love to go see Celine Dion someday. Tickets to Vegas to see Celine Dion. Not a problem. Wow. Sam's, Sam's listening. You know, they lived with uh, her mother till till the, the mother was eighty nine or something like that. They lived with the two Allardyces, so they were sitting watching. The mother would sit there going, "There's so much sex on television these days," and Big Sam and his wife would eye each other nervously, uh, feeling like uh, like um, guilty teenagers in their own home. That's Sam Allardyce's world. Is it true that there's an index entry? Well, it is true because I'm reading it from your column this morning, the Irish Times again. Allardyce, Sam, world's best coaches. Belief in place among yes, page two four five. <laughs> yes, that is that is an index entry. I don't know if Sam compiled his own index. I don't know if someone was poking fun. <laughs> poking fun <at> that. <laughs> well, but I no. shouldn't criticize. I love a good detailed index. Uh, 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 yeah, I'm a yeah. stickler for it. But look, it's in it's in it's in there All absolutely. Right. Uh, just one other thing we should mention um, before we move on is just Gary Neville we mentioned at the start there. He he did a weird interview. Uh, before Valencia played Real Madrid, obviously they drew 2-2. A uh, good result for him, one which he maybe needed. But he did a strange interview beforehand with um, Jeff Shreves, where he was saying... Uh, um, Jeff Shreves is kind of trying to uh, wheedle some information out of him. You know, what do you think... Where where do you see yourself going? You know, uh, and Gary Neville was saying that he didn't uh, see himself or... Uh, that in the long term, he wasn't thinking about coaching. It won't be in management or head coaching. That is, you know, his ambition. I kind of thought, myself, well, what? He, he, he sort of clarified this a bit after after um, the Valencia game. And he, and he said uh, 15 or 20 years. But I, I, don't, I don't really understand. He said, basically, I'm talking about maybe, uh, you know, after 15 or 20 years. But how does that make any sense? You know, in terms of your career is what's going to happen over the next 20 years. Like, that is your long term. Yeah, I didn't. The Correct. clarification didn't clarify a huge amount. I didn't think it was no. one of those ones. Yeah, uh, I, I still don't quite understand what he means. Mm. Maybe he doesn't understand himself. He's kind of just jumped into this thing. Mm. Uh, he seemed to be really enjoying the punditry and clearly was putting a lot into it and was treating it as a career along with the coaching. Yeah, and seemed pretty happy doing that. Then this opportunity popped up. Maybe he's sort of in this now, and he's trying to. He, he's not one hundred percent sure himself if he wants to stay for six months or sixty years. Yeah. Uh, that would be a long career at Valencia. That would be a very, very long career at Valencia. But, you know, whether he wants to be a manager for the next... I mean, I, I, it just struck me as a strange thing to say, especially for a guy who's just into it in his first few weeks as a manager. Oh, I don't really know if I... If this, if if head coaching or management... I don't I don't know if I see my future in head coaching or management. I'm kind of like, you know, keep that one to yourself. Maybe Gary Neville thinks, thinks of future in terms of extreme long life. You know, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. He has got he has got that eco house. Remember, he was famous for that. You know, maybe he's into that. Maybe he takes you know twenty sort of vitamin supplements every morning and sees himself as being part of that first generation that's going to attain a lifespan of three or more centuries. That could be it. But to, the idea that you, the long term refers to more than fifteen or twenty years for a guy who's like forty forty one, <laughs> it's just it was just surprising to me. That's it for Kennedy's report on sport. Every so often I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes I'm talking about, aren't yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. I mentioned earlier Tony Barrett was going to talk to us about, uh, well, first of all, Tony, Spurs being the only 
only one of the leading sides. We'll talk about John Stones, talk about Everton a little bit, but Spurs have, they seem to be the only team that haven't been thrashed by somebody, the only one of the leading teams. They've only lost a couple of games all season. They've got the best defence, the joint best goal difference. Do you get the feeling that you were watching title contenders at Goodison Park yesterday? Yeah, did, to be honest, in the first half in particular, the, uh, the football they played was very controlled. There was, I looked at the two teams and I didn't see a great disparity in talent. I looked at Everton and I thought, Everton have got a lot of players who a lot of clubs want. If you look at Lukaku, Barkley, Stones, De La Feo on the bench, some top players. And Spears, I don't think, have that kind of... I don't think they have as many players of that level. Kane and Ali would be the standout ones for me. And probably the defence. You look at the defence, that's where the difference is. But as a team, they just looked a totally different proposition. Everton looked like a team that, that doesn't know exactly what it wants to be yet, or, or at least how to be what it wants to. Uh, they look at a team that is very individual-based, that thrives on uh, getting plays forward, where the Spurs look cohesive, they look like they knew exactly what they were about, they look well-drilled, they look like a team that doesn't concede many chances. And, and if you look at the league this season, a lot of the qualities we're talking about with Spurs are, are ones that aren't too evident in, in other teams. Uh, and as I say, that first half was probably one of the most impressive performances I've seen uh, by an English team this season. And for them to go in level was was ridiculous in many ways. And obviously, testament to a great goal that Everton scored. And Spurs were unlucky with a couple of shots that hit the woodwork. But if, the, if there was a worry, if, the, if if there is a worry to come from that game for Tottenham, it's that they didn't win it. Uh, they were so far superior for so long that those games you just you've just got to win. If you're going to win league titles. You can't come out of it with regrets. You can't come out of games you've dominated saying, well, maybe we should have done better there. And I, I thought that they lost belief as the game went on. And that that, that is the, the interesting thing. I don't know whether they believe they've got enough goals. And when you take, when if Harry Kane isn't scored, and there aren't too many others, obviously Deli Alley's uh, contributing, but there aren't too many others who you'd rely on in games like that. And I think, then that would be the concern for me. I think I think Arsenal and Man City have, have got more match winners. Sure, yeah, but I, I suppose most of the type of team you described there really well organised, well drilled, with only maybe two standout players probably wouldn't be enough in most seasons to push for a league title. But um, th- this isn't most seasons. No, it's not. And, and the thing I like about it is, is they're doing it by being well organised and being solid at the back, and then having a threat up front. It's it's very traditional. It's it's very much how a lot of people feel football should be played, but it's it sort of gets lost in in fashion. Uh, the, the two centre backs for Spurs are a top draw as a pair. Uh, I think Vertonghen has, has got much much better in the last twelve months. Uh, and I think our elder, while, uh, whose name I can never pronounce, I, I think he's the, he's the best centre-back in the Premier League at the moment. I, I think in terms of consistency, in terms of the way he leads the defence, in terms of how good he is on the ball, his reading of the game, I, I, I think he's peerless at the moment. And I think that is the platform which, which gives Spurs their best chance. I know Kate, without Kane's goals, they wouldn't be where they are, and Deli Ali again, is, is coming to the floor. But I look, I look at the, that central defensive pair and the goalkeeper behind them. Uh, and, and I just think, yeah, there's, there's a solid platform there that, again, that the other t- the other top teams don't have. And it, this is why Tottenham haven't had the kind of thrashing that, that both Arsenal and City have had. Do you think that uh, Alderweireld is better than John Stones, who at one point in the match was uh, was seen appealing to the Goodison Park to Goodison Park crowd to let me play football? <laughs> is he? What do you reckon of that? I think he's a better defender. I think Stones a better footballer. I think if you play in defence, it's better being a better defender. Uh, I, th- I think Stones has got so much technical ability, uh, and I think his technical ability has been indulged somewhat by by Martinez, and not always to to his own good, and not always the team's good. And with, I, I had some sympathy with the Everton crowd with with Stones yesterday. Uh, I think the fourth Cruyff in his own six yard box in the last couple of minutes was, was, was ah come many. on, John. I, as a neutral, I got to say I absolutely loved it. I just wanted him to keep going, and I think he might have kept going if he hadn't been fouled. I think he would have done. The, <laughs> yeah. and, and, well, I thought the referee let him off the hook. Although contact was minimal, but I haven't seen the replay. But it did look one of those where the referee thinking I just need to bring this to a stop because it's it's getting out of hand. Uh, and I, I I just think it comes down to risk and reward. For me, and, and what is the what is the reward of doing that in your own six yard box? You may well evade the man who's trying to to stop you, and then what the reward is what you pass to a man in front. You pass to a fullback. There is no great reward. reward no, no, maybe yeah, maybe not. Yeah, that, that's probably fair enough based on that one incident. But is it not part of 
just the way he plays football. That that's his philosophy on playing the game. Maybe philosophy is too strong, but that's just the way that he actually plays. And that, maybe that was an extreme example of it. But if you take those kind of if you take that away from him, what you're you're just going back to your bog standard in your centre half. No, I I agree with that. I think in the in the in the most part, yes, he got that balance right. I don't think he's got the balance right in, in previous games. I think if you look at Leicester, uh, Bournemouth, and Stoke, who all scored three well at least three goals against Everton in the last couple six weeks. Stones in those games, you'll come out of those games marvelling some of the skill. But Everton have conceded three goals, and and he's a part of the defence that that is conceding that readily. And I thought yesterday the balance was much... Uh, to be fair, the balance of the team was better. Martinez <laughs> clearly had, had learned from what had happened in those fixtures, and he'd asked his full-backs not to push on so easily. He'd asked his midfield to sit a, bit, a little bit closer to the defence, and, and those things contribute to a better defensive performance. And within that, Stones looked a better defender, but he's still... And listen, he's young, and I, I do agree that we need to allow him to develop as a footballer, and, and that is... Seeing him doing these kind of things is a big part of that, but there does come a point where it does just become about doing the basics. It does become about percentages. And the very best defenders in the world, some of the best football and centre-backs, know when to boot it out, to boot as far away from their goals. He kind of thought he, he was guilty of not doing that in that instance. But uh, but he is still a... I, I do think he's a fantastic prospect, but one who's in need of, of making those right decisions at the right time more and more. And, and I think Spurs have got more of the defenders that are likely to win your Premier League, to win your trophies at least at the moment. Yeah, Everton have been involved in a lot of uh, great games. I think that anyone who'd watched all of Everton's games has seen more goals than anyone who's anyone else. You know, you know what I mean? Everton have had more goals in their games than any other team. A lot of the goals have been flying past Tim Howard uh, in the Everton net. I wondered uh, what you think about how the crowd are, are, are looking. I mean, Roberto Martinez has been there for a while now. Um, without ever really managing to figure out how to stop the team conceding goals. And is this becoming a serious problem for him, as it was maybe for Brendan Rodgers? I mean, that was something Brendan Rodgers wanted to sort out, something he never was able to. Uh, you can see too many goals, and it almost doesn't matter what you're doing in attack things. It's all going to be wasted. Yeah, it's a, it's a similar problem. If you, if you look at the, at Everton, you look at it and you see there are three or four very, very good attacking players. And you'll always, you know they will get goals, especially with Lukaku in the form he's in. Uh, Barkley will will always come up with a goal. He will create a goal. De La Faux, similarly. And you go through the team and the, the attacking threat is there. It's probably probably going forward. They're as good as most in the Premier League at the moment. So there's, there's no question about that. And certainly in terms of a team to watch, they are probably, probably as good as you will see in the Premier League because it is so entertaining and so unpredictable. But there's never a sense that there's a structure this, to this team. There's never a sense that this team will grind out a result. There's never a sense that this team will have an off day and be able to come through it because the players have got the kind of organisation uh, instilled into them from the manager that will allow them to thrive when things aren't going well. And I, I just that is a that is a fault line throughout Roberto Martinez's career as a manager. If you look back to Wigan, this was there then, uh, and and there, is, there are no signs of correcting that. And that to me is is the biggest worry for him. And I think that that has manifested itself in the atmosphere inside Goodison. There's sort of an easy relationship with Martinez and the Everton fans. It's not what it could be if you go back to the season when they, they challenged for four, 2013-14, it looked then like there was, a, there was a real relationship blossoming between them, but since then it's gone backwards, no question about that. The substitutions tend to be criticised, there's a lot of vocal uh, discord whenever he makes a change. It's, it was the same yesterday when Aaron Lennon was taken off and De La Faux came on, that wasn't a popular decision. And, and you can see that, that, that that's coming out in loads of ways in the crowd. The crowd don't trust the manager to put the team out to be able to be hard to beat and they don't trust the players particularly Tim Howard and, I, and I'm with them on this they don't they don't trust the goalkeeper to be able to bail them out when the defence lets them down so it is a real structural issue and it's one that he's never got on top of but this is the crunch period from if you look at the games Evan have got coming up they will define this season and they could actually define his, his time as manager because if Everton lose the big games because they can't defend then he will be in a difficult position with the sport, so there's no question about that. But should they win them, again, it could flip on its head. Yeah. We mentioned Brendan Rodgers there. Do you think that he might still be at Anfield if only certain people hadn't gotten in the way of the 
signing of Deli Ali from Tottenham. Every time I'm, I read Deli Ali's name, there seems to be a reference to the fact that he support. Uh, you know, he's a big Stephen Gerrard fan who supports Liverpool, and his dream was always to play for the Super Anfield Reds, but somehow it just didn't happen, owing to certain people. I'm I'm unsure what happened there. I've, I've heard conflicting versions of, of this story. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the one school of thought is that the transfer committee didn't feel he was worth the money that MK Dons were asking. Another one was that Brendan Rodgers felt he didn't need him at that time. Uh, the thing for me is, and this is where blame probably doesn't it doesn't matter who which individual is responsible. It's more the club as a whole. Delhi Ali, not a New Zealand Pool fan, etc. He was, he was managed by Liverpool, someone who, who'd worked at Liverpool's academy and Carl Robinson, who never tired of telling Liverpool that this player could be the next Steven Gerrard. He really was the real deal. He told them at every single opportunity, and Liverpool didn't listen. Now, if you've got a scouting operation that is bringing you gem after gem, you're well within your rights to say, we've got our own experts here. We, if we look at all these great players we're bringing in, they were having an instant impact. That's not what's happening at Liverpool. Liverpool's signings, by and large, over the last few years have struggled. And if you've got someone who's working with a player who's, who, who you trust, you know uh, you know how he works, maybe you should back that judgment a little bit more and maybe your scouts should watch this player a little bit more and, and come to the same conclusion that Tottenham did. Because I, I think two or three players in, in English football, teenagers who, who I think as soon as you see them, you know footballers. And I think Brendan Galloway at Everton's one. Uh, Joe Gomez at Liverpool is another and Deli Alley uh, at Spurs they were all signed for lower division clubs but the minute you see them play you can tell they're footballers and that applies as much to people in the stands uh, as much to anyone else and so that makes you wonder what goes on when scouts go and watch these players what aren't they seeing what are they looking for different to us and it's all well and good if, if they then if they then prove right if, they, if they've seen something in Deli Alley which puts them off and they're proven right in that, and that's fine. But when when Dele Alli uh, acquits himself as he has done and does look a genuine top class player, I think then internal questions have to be asked. But but you just wonder whether anyone's actually asking those questions. Yep, Tony, brilliant stuff. Thank you. Cheers, gents. Yeah, there's a good story about Carl uh, Robinson and Dele Alli in their time at MK Dons together, told by Michael Calvin in that book football on the volcano living on the volcano uh, about football managers that we bigged up before the new year before Christmas he goes he's one of the managers featured Carl Robinson and MK Dons and at one stage I think he calls Deli Ali over and Deli Ali's chatting away to the journalist and Michael Calvin and suddenly he he was chewing chewing gum <laughs> it's, it's not the most hygienic story Ken mm-hmm. but he spits the chewing gum out kicks it on his right boot kicks it on his left boot kicks it on his right leg kicks it on his left leg could have been a shoulder thrown in for good measure Back into the mouth, <laughs> continues to eat the chewing gum. Oh, oh, Deli right. Ali, not the man, oh, okay. yeah, not back Carl in, Robinson. Back into the mouth. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, it was a qu- quite a display of skill. Was he? Was he? Who told him to do it? Oh, nobody. It was, oh, he uh, just no. spontaneously so, uh, it did it. It wasn't come over here and do this chewing gum trick. I think he just come over, chat to this journalist. Okay, and right. uh, he, got, he decides. I just, I'll show this journalist how skillful I am. I'll just say, or maybe it was an unconscious thing. He just did it <laughs> subconscious. Maybe can anyone subconsciously <laughs> do that? Would you give no, back I'd, yourself? I, th- I think it needs a level of conscious thought. It does, yeah. Something like that. Well, not if, what if you do it so often? What if that is what he does all day, every day after training? You know the old thing David Beckham would say for an hour after training, practicing free kicks? Maybe yeah. he just practices his chewing gum routine until yeah. it becomes second nature. Yeah. And unconscious. He'd want to keep a very clean shoe, yeah. really, for that to be a constant. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't thing. recommend this to anybody, actually. No. I mean, there's, there's other ways to that is, that golf is good, balls, tennis balls. Good skill, though. I wonder how many of our listeners will privately attempt to uh, <laughs> hopefully to, none to do that uh, when I tweet, please I video so. all of your attempts so. and then tweet them into us uh, a lot of people were so when I tweeted about Stones during the game a lot of people were making the point that this is exactly what they would worry about if he had gone to Chelsea for example and Mourinho yeah. had still been there that this by now even even by this age of the season he would not be doing this anymore yeah. uh, which is probably a fair point but it does sound like Tony Barrett's more with the supporters on this one that okay there's high risk plays and then there's stupidly high risk plays yeah, um, I, I, I thought it was. I thought it was. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's one thing kind of throwing a dummy, you know, but like to do it several it times. Did say, do, do you remember Peter Beagrey? Yeah, Peter Beagrey and uh, he, this, this sensationally skillful yet weirdly ineffective winger of Stoke City of days gone by, and and Everton actually didn't he play yeah, for Everton? Yeah, yeah. And. Uh, 
the problem with him was he just kept trying to go past the guy. But you're like, you have to go past the guy. It's he kept trying to. He he liked obviously the feeling of tricking his opponent, mm-hmm. and he just would trick the opponent, and then he would turn back the other way, trick him again. Well, the Nielsen direction. is the extreme example of that. Nielsen's Nielsen. a good man to for twelve step overs without actually going past the player. Yeah, that's that's not getting you anywhere. You, you, so I don't, I don't know. I think I think I th- I did think it was a bit self indulgent from Stones. You know, a really classy player. Um, if you want to, if you want to do that in your own penalty area, okay, fine. Leave the, if you want to leave the guy on the seat of his pants and come away with the ball, great. If you want to be twisting and turning four or five times, that's not good. You haven't managed to beat the guy. Stop pretending you can and get rid of the ball. <laughs> Dion Fanning, uh, Andy Carroll did the damage to Liverpool at the weekend. A player obviously discarded at the end of at the start of Brendan Rodgers' reign. Benteke was a man brought in in desperation a couple of years later towards the end of Rodgers' time in charge. Does it look at this point that it's not going to work out between Benteke and Jurgen Klopp? Um, it does. It Well, it, I think it, it, it kind of points again to this sort of greater dysfunction at Liverpool during the Brendan Rodgers era, you know, the, the split between the transfer transfer committee and Rodgers uh, in the sense that like everyone who's playing behind uh, behind Benteke on, on, on Saturday was kind of, you know, bought by the transfer committee or could have, you know, possibly bought, probably bought by the transfer committee. And then, you know, you have Benteke playing a t- totally different game uh, anyway, um, but just, you know, but totally isolated from, from the people behind him. And I felt a little bit sorry for him because there were so many bad performances. Uh, you know, he, 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 he really couldn't, couldn't do anything. Now, the thing is, you talk to people at Aston Villa about it and they'll say there were days when he was unplayable and there were days when he, he disappeared and didn't want to know. Uh, you can kind of do that. It's a classic thing of a, of a player who's at a, a middle-ranking or, or lower-ranking club like Villa uh, you know, they get noticed. You know, you think about how how he played against Liverpool in the in the cup semi final last year. Um, but then they have days like the cup final last year for Villa when he when uh, it didn't go for him. So I think when you go to a bigger club, there's more scrutiny, there's more demands, and I, he's definitely struggling with that. But I, I, he's not the only one. The Liverpool were, were really terrible uh, all round on Saturday. Yeah. Um, another thing that I remember someone <coughs> saying about Benteke was was Roy Keane uh, when he was the um, uh, he went, or rather, when he brought out his book, his uh, second book, uh, he was obviously assistant Villa, uh, or he just left that job, or, or whatever it was, and essentially uh, said that Benteke didn't really train, or he said something like he doesn't, um, he's not one for scoring a lot of goals in training. I.e., he didn't really, he kind of walked around training, not really caring, and said all the top strikers I've played with scored a lot of goals in training. It was kind of a pointed Benteke doesn't work hard enough. Uh, And I imagine if what Keane said was true, and we know Keane does like to criticise people, it's not always what they deem fair, and that would be the kind of thing that would really sour his relationship with Klopp quite quickly. It would. I I would dispute it uh, in a a general sense that I think, you know, if you go back to players like Jimmy Greaves, probably Robbie Fowler at Liverpool, uh, they weren't, Greaves certainly was someone, anything you read about him, he wasn't a player who was interested in training. Yeah, Tevez uh, actually also more recently is. Yeah, he loved he loved yeah. a massage, but he didn't he didn't want to want to train so much. But he came alive on match day, and there are goal scorers who do that. So I don't think, as a general point, as usual with Keane, it doesn't really stand up. Uh, but I think from what 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 Klopp wants from a, from a centre forward, which is something other than scoring goals as well, which is why Origi has has kind of got in ahead of Benteke. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't do it, and he doesn't. Um, but then again, you know, you come back to Saturday, and you, there were very few people doing any of the things that uh, the clock wants for a team, which is why he was, he was so angry. Uh, and, you know, the failure to cut out crosses, and um, you know, stuff like that. Which, again, from from the early stage, you know, the first few matches for for Klopp, when there was a kind of a sense of, uh, you know, they're, they're doing gag and pressing and and doing the things he, he likes. That seems to have petered out. Whether teams are, are, are countering it is one thing, but I think you know the the idea that when Klopp came in and this you know it said that he was pretty pretty disappointed in the fitness levels of, of the Liverpool players, and that's a standard enough uh, thing for a, a new coach to say when he comes in. But if it's true in this case, it's kind of been demonstrated uh, now because the the players look pretty exhausted. Just on the West Ham side of things, Dion, there 
when they're going to be moving out at the end of this season. They've got obviously Slavon Bilic in charge now. Who, uh, well, there were doubts about. I think doubts might have been expressed on this very podcast about Slavon Bilic necessarily being the the right man to go in there. It seems to be going really well so far. Uh, and there is he's been addressing this recently. Talked that West Ham will immediately become a big six team, a top six team when they move to the Olympic Stadium. What do you see their probably short to mid term future being? Well, this season was was so critical for them because, uh, as you say, there were some doubts about Billich. And if you look again at who they who they wanted to appoint, uh, they thought they were going to appoint Rafa Benitez, uh, who is a very different different coach to to Billich. And you know that didn't happen at the last minute when 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 Madrid came in for him. So you know when Billich came in, you kind of thought, right, this is this is this could be tricky. And if you know, West Ham go down the season, you know if they start if they start the first season in the Olympic Stadium as a Championship club, it, you know even with parachute payments, even with all those kind of things, it's 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 going wrong for them. Now you know, once they stay up this season, they're in a they're in a really strong position because they've got the golden ticket. They've got a stadium built for them by the. Uh, by the taxpayer, effectively, uh, you know they've, they've got you know a gr- great deal on that. Now I have some sympathy, not for West Ham, but I, I when people get angry about these things, I kind of wonder with you know public stadiums, what else are you going to do? Football clubs have a, have a huge uh, and negotiating point, which is you know, what else are you going to put into a, into a, into a pu- huge public stadium? You're not going to fill it with athletics or, or rugby or anything like that. So there is that <laughs> they have a kind of they have a great advantage over over other. Uh, codes, but I think West Ham, if you know, when they go in there, being a London club, being in a in a hub like Stratford, where it's very easy to get to, transport is is very good, uh, things like that. They're they're in a they're in a huge position to kind of capitalise on that. You know, you see to an extent Watford and Crystal Palace and these uh, you know smaller London clubs or, or greater London clubs uh, benefiting from that. So West Ham West Ham stay up this season, which they will. Um, Probably um, there's a, there's a, you know a huge amount of potential there, and you know in the changing face of English football, it's going to be clubs like well, Newcastle and Sunderland who are already suffering, but even clubs like Everton and Liverpool uh, who are going to who are going to lose out as as clubs like West Ham come to the fore. Do you see it as just a a move, a kind of concentration of sort of uh, power and footballing success? Just around London, just a kind of centralisation um, that you know you see in other areas of the economy also happening in football. That London clubs can be the only one that can that can compete. I mean, when you look um, actually at the league as a whole at the moment, everyone is kind of roided up on all this TV money that's coming in at the moment. A lot of clubs are building uh, stadiums. I mean, obviously West Ham have a new stadium. Spurs are building a new stadium. City have expanded their stadium. Liverpool are expanding their stadium. Um, well, you know, do you think this is just going to keep going, keep growing and growing? Can they, can they just, is, is it maybe getting a little bit too, is the infrastructure getting a little bit too big? Is there a bit too much capacity getting built into the system here? Um, well, at the moment, I think this season has been, has been the best thing uh, for the Premier League because, you know, there were, there were some concerns with the TV money that the middle ranking clubs would, uh, would kind of feel, well, we've got our money here now. We don't, you know, once we avoid relegation, uh, we don't really need to kind of take too many risks to to kind of try and close the gap with the others. But the the kind of decline in quality of, of the of the top four, uh, you know, the, the 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 fall of Chelsea, you know, Manchester United's ongoing problems has made the league so interesting that uh, I think you know in the short term uh, it's it's very positive. They will see um, uh, they will see that they will believe that things can keep going like this. Uh, whether it goes on long, whether it's a bubble or whether it's something sustainable, you know, it's it's hard. You know, maybe time will tell. Like if it's if it's a bubble, it, it will burst. But the TV money uh, keeps coming in, and I think it will keep coming in once it remains competitive. Once there's a sort of a, a competition or a competitive element like like there is at the moment, um, and maybe you know maybe it'll change if they start attracting top players but uh, you know i wonder like you saw an interesting stuff coming out of manchester united when they're you know when they're uh, talking about their ambitions to sign neymar bale ronaldo and anyone else which was that they felt that the top players preferred to play in in spain where where they were easier you know it was easier to kind of get the individual prizes and um, now because you you had you had more games when you had more opportunities to score goals it wasn't like that in the premier league now whether you know whether you believe that or not 
and you look at the struggles of, of, of uh, you know, you look at Madrid struggling last night, it doesn't really necessarily stand up, but it's uh, it's an interesting counter argument to the you know to the um, to the competitiveness that this is actually a reason why you you don't have the, the top players because it, it's too much of a slog. I think I think Klopp in is in, at Liverpool has, has discovered the slog in the sense of you know two domestic cups. You look at the schedule Liverpool have over the uh, next you know next few weeks, and it's uh, it's insane. And uh, that kind of stuff is 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 a, a leveller too. But whether those clubs, I think the other point about this, there is a London centric thing in England in, in a general sense. You look at the big infrastructure, the stuff they're talking about building. Uh, you know, the high speed train lines to to Birmingham and Manchester. And most studies say that they benefit the bigger city in, in anyway. So if it's an hour to get to London uh, from Birmingham or, or an hour and a half to Manchester, actually, the the, the more 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 people. Uh, more people head towards London and, and are you know it becomes it gives the, 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 the bigger place more power and if that replicates itself in football where players want to be in London uh, um, it's going to you know, make it make it make for a, a big change in the Premier League all right Dion thanks a million thanks lads can you understand this obsession that the players seem to have any any player not just foreign probably even a lot of English born players seem to want to live in London Ken well a lot of London born players I'd say uh, definitely, um, I'm not so sure. Uh, I mean, like the for instance, it's much more expensive to live in London than anywhere else. Now, obviously, if you're a really rich footballer, maybe you fit into this sort of income bracket that is quite comfortable in London. Uh, but also, you know, London is congested. It's kind of cramped spaces at a premium. It's it's not necessarily the type of place everyone would want to live. Um, you know, if you could also afford to live in sort of a big house with a big garden and you had like kids running around, that I imagine would also be <laughs> an attractive well, they, prospect you know, if you, if you, as opposed to living in a, you know, central London apartment, which is great maybe if well, you're like a... Different parts of a person's life, really. I mean, if you're 23 years old and you don't have a family, then living in London with loads of money yeah. is probably quite an attractive prospect. Depends on the kind of person you are. I think you can't make those assumptions about about people necessarily. I think there's a kind of a, a a propaganda. Oh, this is a great place to live. You know, as we all crush together in this warren. Oh, this is great. We're all living the dream. <laughs> you know, uh, this is what life is meant to be like. Why are you doing this? It's like well, a black uh, hole of humanity. Uh, I actually spent some time in uh, Yorkshire, yeah. the East Riding. Yeah. Uh, specifically over Christmas, I was in a place called Ghoul. Ghoul. Ghoul, yeah. That's Is that actually, spelled G-O-A-L? No, G-O-O-L-E. Okay. Um, Ghoul. Yeah, it's an amazing word. I mean, Did you just sit there quietly saying the Ghoul. name place over and over? Ghoul. <laughs> Ghoul. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, I was actually in the Tesco there yeah. uh, in Ghoul. Yeah. Uh, they had for sale, uh, <laughs> they had for sale the Gillette Rugby League Season Review <laughs> Yearbook, two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, on yeah. sale at a Tesco. I mean, <laughs> like if it was an antique book sh- bookstore, then you'd say, well, that's you know of limited interest, I'm but just, perhaps yeah, perhaps go I'm for just it. looking at Google who was on here. the cover, Kevin Sinfield. Uh, I didn't recognise the player, uh, but uh, I'm sure I'd be able to Google that. Google is ringed by the towns or cities of Leeds, York, Hull, Scunthorpe, and Doncaster. Yeah, and that's proper. That's yeah. proper. But uh, I have to say, Yorkshire, very nice. I mean, if I was oh, a yeah. footballer of, of uh, substantial financial means, yeah. uh, I'm pretty certain that I could find a delightful couple of acres uh, in the East Riding of Yorkshire. Say if I played for Hull and yeah. was earning 35 to 40 grand a week, I think maybe not in Ghoul. You know, if, if I had the money, I probably wouldn't spend it in Ghoul. But there is large swathes of countryside, uh, untouched. Yeah. Uh, but also within 500 yeah, yards well, of that's a major the, the Manchester United players, a lot of them live in this. It's, it's, it seems the same road in Cheshire that Roy Keane What's the name? Well, lives on. Uh, is, there, is there any, anything similar for Arsenal? Do all the Arsenal players live? Is there, is there some uh, hidden gem of um, massive houses with huge gardens somewhere close to Highbury that well, they're, are to the Emirates? They're, I mean, their training ground is kind of almost in the countryside. Um, so they probably live it's somewhere like Saint, there. it's in St Albans, 
which is kind of the northern extremity of London. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if they were living out there, but they could also live in the city. They just have to drive for a There's also the weather issue. Doesn't it rain more up north? The, it does. Uh, it actually does. There, there is a weather difference. But the most important thing is actually, I think, um, it's something someone's mentioned us to on, on here before. I can't uh, mention to us on here before. I can't remember who it was. Uh, but basically making the point that, uh, I think it was in relation to when Alexis Sanchez went to um, uh, Arsenal, uh, and also Liverpool wanted to sign him. But where do you think the there is more of a, Chile, a Chilean community, London or Liverpool? So if you're a foreign player, um, if you're coming to a city in England, the one, the city where there are a lot more of your particular type of foreigner is likely to be big old, uh, big old London. Yeah, all right. Well, we'll uh, we'll leave it at that. You've I don't know if you have stated your case. I think your case is It's full of holes. It's all over the place. Not <laughs> even a case. It's just like a <laughs> observation. Just a Random general, series of ob- observations. Some yeah, pros, some cons. Most and, uh, conversations are. We we'll leave it to, to the audience to decide. That's it for the first football podcast of the year. We're looking forward to a big 2016 with a nice European Championship uh, in the middle of it. Thanks very much, Ken. Thank you, Tio. Cheers, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for listening. Thank you, uh, thank you Kieran. Sorry. I should also, oh, you've, yeah, again, we have to reactivate the brains. I should also mention that we will have another podcast out today which will feature a chat about who should be the next Irish rugby captain uh, among other topics. Uh, in the meantime, take care. What's going on? Is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys.